Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. I'm Joey Weaver, joined by Mike McDaniel. Mike, things got pretty weird on the East Coast this weekend with these games. Yeah, I mean, the weather was about as bad as we expected it to be, and then maybe even worse for those of you that were lucky enough to tune into the 10-3 NC State victory over Notre Dame. Um, barn burner. Yeah, absolute barn burner in the rain there. Um, pretty unbelievable that Florida and LSU couldn't play, but they found a way to play that Notre Dame-NC State game um, on Saturday. That was crazy. Uh, but it sounded like the hurricane, by and large, didn't hit the East Coast as hard as everybody was expecting it to from, I mean, it was a lot of rain, obviously, a lot of places flooded, a lot of destruction done, but they were talking about being this historic storm, and it sounds like it was pretty bad in some spots, but for the most part, it looks like everybody dodged a bullet, especially in Florida, so that's always good to hear. Um, so hopefully, if you were in that area affected, you're listening to this podcast, hopefully your area is well on its way to a nice recovery. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we don't have anything like that affecting, uh, obviously, the day-to-day lives, but, of course, the college football as well moving forward because it's tough to it's tough when the weather affects outcomes uh, like we saw this weekend, Joey. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, some of these things are definitely bigger than football, right? And so we we definitely hope that, that everybody is safe and, and all good, you know, haven't really dealt with any uh, destruction, you know, of their own that they've got to deal with. Um, so just hope, hope everybody's taken care of out there. But uh, certainly this did play a role in some of these football games we saw this weekend. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about several of them where it seemed like it hit ACC games as much as any other conference in the country. So that, that kind of gives us an extra little talking point here. Uh, Mike, what was, your, what was your situation for this weekend? I know that you're the world traveler, but I think you were, you were watching from home? Yeah, watching from home. Um, yeah, fight, fighting a little bit of a sinus infection here. So if you guys... You know, if I sound a little off this week, that's why. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, I was home, uh, caught a lot of these games. I don't know. I mean, I think we're, we're starting to really learn that, you know, of course there are some teams we still don't know a whole lot about, but I think we're definitely starting to get a handle on who, who the contenders, who the pretenders are. Um, and then there are some teams that, you know, are still going to get into the brunt of their conference schedule here, and we'll have to see how they perform, um, you know, moving forward. So, um yeah, I mean, by and large, it was a good weekend of ACC football. We'll just have to see how how they uh, how they perform moving forward. Yeah, you mentioned that list of teams that we don't know a whole lot about. I mean, it is definitely starting to dwindle a little bit. I think we're getting a really good idea of where a lot of these teams fit into the picture. But let's let's talk about, I guess, what we've learned this weekend. I thought this was a very telling weekend for a lot of these teams that we saw play, even given some kind of weird conditions at times. We got to start with the the headliner game of the weekend, the eight o'clock ABC game. That was the Florida State Seminoles traveling to Miami uh, to take on the new and improved Miami Hurricanes, who got out to a, a lead in this game and looked like they were comfortably in control. And then the Seminoles came charging back after halftime, Mike, and ended up coming away with a twenty to nineteen win. Uh, big big game for DeAndre Francois. He was not great in the first half, and then was was excellent after halftime. Huge game from Dalvin Cook, uh, just dominant, you know, more than we've gotten used to seeing in the last several games. And, and Miami kind of fell flat after after getting off to a hot start. Yeah, I mean, when, when looking at Miami, obviously we knew uh, going into the weekend that they were an improved team, but just how much improvement, you know, from last year to this year kind of remained to be seen, as you know, from a record perspective. I mean, we saw them get off to, of course, a 4-0 start, but given the, uh, the opponents that they were facing, we wanted to see, you know, whether or not they were for real. Um, they got off to a good start in this game. I think the one overarching factor here with, with Miami, obviously everybody wants to talk about the blocked extra point at the end that ended up being the deciding factor in that 20-19 win for Florida State. But I think Miami's offensive line, um, you know, we saw Georgia Tech's defense get after them, uh, you know, uh, last weekend. And then, of course, on Saturday, Miami has all these issues with a Florida State defense that's really struggled. By and large, you know, for the last last two or three weeks, uh, they've had a lot of trouble. Of course, it started with the Lamar Jackson game, uh, which, you know, is what it is, right? But they were having issues after that. North Carolina's defense was getting after Francois. Um, and what we saw again on, um, on, on Saturday is Florida State's offensive line was having some issues uh, protecting DeAndre Francois in the first half, but their defense was able to get after Brad Kaya, which, of course, ended up being huge. So 
The offensive line on both sides ended up being the deciding factor in this game for Florida State. Their offensive line played better um, played better than expected, uh, especially in the second half. They blocked a lot better for Dalvin Cook, and then DeAndre Francois got going. And then, they were, and then the story of the offensive line for Miami not being able to protect against that Florida State pass rush um, and for now the second consecutive week that Miami has you know, struggled by and large in that department. So um, it, it was a game, uh, definitely a game of swings. It was a hard-fought rivalry game, um, and you saw – you know, you saw the impact of how it all kind of went down. And we talked to Cam Underwood, of course, about it last week. And Cam was telling us, hey, you know, be careful. Weird stuff happens in rivalry games. This is going to be a slug it out type matchup. And, you know, he hit the nail right on the head with that. Um, that's exactly what this game was. And I think the difference ended up being Florida State's rushing attack with Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Francois's passing ability in the second half, and then their ability to get after Brad Kaya, who looked markably mediocre. So um, hopefully they'll... Uh, you know, get that tied up moving forward because they got some tough teams here coming up on their schedule. Delvin Cook, in particular, started off the season a little slow. Uh, his first three games, 91 yards, 83 yards, 54 yards, uh, was really kind of struggling out of the gate this year. The last three games, he has really flipped a switch. Uh, a total of 557 yards on 84 carries just over his last three games with five touchdowns. He's also caught for over 200 yards and a touchdown. Had a 59-yard catch for a touchdown in this game. Uh, so he's he's really starting to hit his stride and uh, turn back into the, the Dalvin Cook that we're used to. Um, tough loss for Miami. Uh, again, in front of their home, home crowd, they've been kind of uh, propped up here over the last several weeks kind of this, to kick off this season. Had moved all the way up to number 10 in the rankings. Might have been a bit premature for that. Uh, but I, I think that this, this Miami team is going to be fine. This is a good team. They're maybe not a great team. They're maybe not ready yet to win games quite like this one. Um, there's, there's still a lot to like, though, and so we'll see You know what we get from, from Brad Kaya and, and Joe Yerby and such moving forward, but overall, I mean, not a whole lot to be ashamed about You know, if you're a Miami fan, but um, it doesn't make the loss a whole lot easier to deal with. Uh, yeah, and you know, we, you know, we were talking about Miami protecting Brad Kaya. I guess I should have talked a little bit more about the rushing attack, which was wholly non-existent. Uh, 28 carries for 62 yards. You're averaging 2.2 yards per rush. Of course, you know, three sacks of Brad Kaya factored into that total where he lost 14 yards. But 14 carries for Mark Walton for 39 yards. 10 carries for Joe Yerby for 39 yards. Uh, you know, when you have 78 yards between your two top backs, um, uh, on 20-plus carries. That's not a good rushing performance. Offensive line needs to be more shored up. You know, we saw them play better in the first four weeks than we have in the last couple seasons, but, you know, if Florida State defense is struggling, it's it's tough to justify having a performance like that, both in pass protection and, uh, and uh, you know, blocking for the running back. So, you know, hopefully the Hurricanes shore that up moving forward. I agree with you. They're, stu- they're still an improved team, a good team, but they're not a great team. And, and you know, ESPN especially, the four-letter network, wanted them to be, you know, a great team so bad. Just countless articles um, out there talking about, you know, how, you know, is Miami back? You know, are they back on the national stage? Not yet, but we see that they're heading in the right direction. And, you know, this loss should bring expectations, you know, should temper expectations, bring everybody in that fan base back to earth a little bit. This team's not invincible. They had a relatively soft schedule the first four weeks of this season. The brunt of their schedule is still in front of them. We'll have to see how they perform here moving forward. There's one other thing I want to bring up here that Cam Underwood wouldn't like and a lot of people won't like, but um, the the end-of-game sequence here uh, for Miami, so they're trailing 20-13, uh, and they score a touchdown with, what, maybe about a minute and 40 left? Yeah, yeah, about a minute yep. 40 left on the clock. They score a touchdown. It's 20 to 19. So now they've come back. That's the first points that they've scored since, you know, mid, kind of late in the second quarter. Um, if it's me, and, and granted, I, I'm a little bit of a, a risk taker myself of what I prefer and how to handle these situations, but if it's me, I'm probably going for two if I'm Miami here. Um, I, I, it's hard to say that they necessarily had momentum at that point. I mean... They had hardly been able to keep the offense on the field at all in the second half, and, and you've just seen Florida State come storming back to take a lead. I think you go for two. They don't. They kick the extra point. It's blocked. So so that happens. 
Then they come out to to kick off, and they kicked it deep with a minute 40 left. And I think they had maybe two timeouts or something, but yeah, I don't know why you don't onside kick. You there. want, yeah. I mean, I, I disagreed with that, too. And, and I you know, I guess that's one of the things you go either way. You know, you're banking on your defense to get a stop. But the way Dalvin Cook was running and the way that DeAndre Francois was playing, especially in the second half, uh, man, it, it's tough to justify that decision to kick away there with only two timeouts. You know, if there's three – if there's – you know, two and a half, three minutes left, I'd get it. But with, you know, sub a minute and a half to go, I mean, I, yeah, I, I didn't agree with that either. But that's one of those things that could go either way. I guess if it worked out, they would have been a little bit more happy about the outcome. But with two timeouts, you're thinking, okay, you stop the, you know, you stop the clock twice. And then if you stop them on third down, you're still going to be left with less than a minute to go. So it's, you know, you know, after, after a third down play when you have no timeouts, so. That's asking a lot of Brad Kaya. I mean, I know he's I know he's been good, but that's asking a lot of your junior quarterback um, to have him try to come down the field with no timeouts and no time left. So, didn't agree with that with that either. Um, I thought that was that was questionable there. Um, you know, from a coaching perspective, and something they'll definitely be questioned there in Miami for the weeks to come. And where I was really going with that, Mike, that decision reeked of Mark Ricks. Oh boy. Yeah, um, that was the kind of way that you saw Georgia teams lose during his tenure, especially the last maybe the last three, four, five years up at Georgia, where some just kind of odd decisions were made and it ended up costing them the game. Um, that's something that we need to keep an eye on and kind of monitor here because that's that was kind of my theory coming in is that the, the problems that Mark Richt had at Georgia don't get better by going to Miami. So. Let's see if he's learned from from it, and if not, this might be what you keep getting. Yep. All right. Florida State 20, Miami 19. Uh, Seminoles back on track. Let's move on to a a bit of a route that nobody really was nobody really saw coming. I mean, I think we all last week picked who we thought was going to win the game, and that ended up coming true. But it was not in the fashion we would have picked. Virginia Tech 34, North Carolina three. This yeah, was, buddy. This was a total just beatdown by the Hokies from start to finish. Um, the 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 defense was smothering of North Carolina's offense. Gerard Evans kept kept up the pace that we've seen from him. I know that you watched this game start to finish. Uh, it's starting to look like the Hokies are really for real this year, even in year one under Justin Fuente, Mike. Yeah, I mean, we... <sighs> It was tough to gauge them the first few weeks. So they have, you know, they have their victory against against Liberty. They go to battle at Bristol against Tennessee. They, you know, they fumble the ball five times, which isn't unlucky. What was unlucky is the fact they lost five fumbles. Um, that was a little fluky. So Tennessee wins by you know three touchdowns there. But anybody who watched the game, I think, would agree the Tech was able to move the ball on Tennessee. That was never an issue um, all night. So we knew that if Tech was able to take care of the football, they they would hopefully be in better shape moving forward throughout their ACC schedule that they had coming up. So they blow out Boston College in a game in which Boston College's offense didn't really show up, obviously. Um, surprise, surprise. And then they, they face an East Carolina team, get a good win there before the bye week. So you're, th- you're sitting there thinking, okay, Virginia Tech saying here, you know, nice 3-1 and one record. you got a winning conference already going into this North Carolina game on the road. Well, then the hurricane happens, and the weather is atrocious. So you're thinking, okay, North Carolina – if we know anything about their offense and about what we see now, Mitch Trubisky so far, he's been fantastic. But they've relied almost wholeheartedly on the passing game. Um, even though they have Logan and Elijah Hood, they haven't been able to run the ball as well as they have in years past. And some of it has been coaching from not sticking with Elijah Hood. And some of it's just been, okay, we're sticking with him, but we're not running the ball as well as we'd like. Um, and, of course, Saturday... They didn't have Elijah Hood. They had T.J. Logan, who ran hard to his credit. He was averaging almost five yards a carry, 14 carries for 67 yards. But the thing that happened with North Carolina is they relied on the pass way too much in rain and wind. The same thing that happened with Deshaun Kaiser in Notre Dame and their loss earlier in the in, earlier in the day to NC State, about 10 miles away from the Chapel Hill campus of North Carolina. So, pretty similar weather conditions there throughout the day. It was more conducive to the running game. And that's what Virginia Tech did. Gerard Evans, he tried to throw. He went 7 of 17. Not great, right? But 75 yards and two touchdowns. They picked their spots. The difference in this game for me, Virginia Tech 
picked the run. They stuck with it. 66 carries for 189 yards and two touchdowns as a team. Uh, the carries were dominated by Trayvon McMillan. He had 17 carries for 76 yards and a touchdown. Gerard Evans, 21 carries, 49 yards and a touchdown. So not great efficiency there running the ball, but they stuck with it. And then Marshawn Williams had 10 carries for 30 yards. So, you know, besides McMillan averaging four and a half yards per carry, the Hokies were struggling to break off big runs on the ground, which I guess is expected when you're playing in, in a sloppy game like this was, just from weather perspective. But Virginia Tech's defense was a difference. Mitch Trubisky and the North Carolina offense wanted to throw. That's been their strength all year. Ryan Switzer's been really good, obviously. Matt Collins, Bug Howard. That was not to be in this game. Trubisky goes 13 of 33, 58 yards. Tech turned him over twice, two interceptions. TJ Logan. First two interceptions of the year. Yep, first two interceptions of the year. So that was a surprise in and of itself because of how well he's been able to take care of the football. But TJ Logan was the entirety of North Carolina's offense on Saturday afternoon. Um, the, the 14 carries for 67 yards, like I spoke about, but he also had six carries for 30 yards. So he had nearly 100 yards between his rushing and receiving all purpose. That was really it. Bug Howard had one catch for 12 yards. Mac Hollins, two catches for eight yards. Ryan Switzer, two carries for, or two catches for two yards. So North Carolina's offense didn't have it on Saturday. They're a team that loves to throw the football. It, was, it just wasn't there because of the weather conditions and Virginia Tech's ability to blitz Trubisky. Uh, North Carolina's offensive line just didn't hold up in this one. I thought Tech was able to get great pressure, especially on third down. I thought that was a big turning point in the game when North Carolina was really struggling to pick up, pick up conversions on third down, which is what they've done all year. Um, they, they've had a lot of success in that department, and it just wasn't to be on Saturday. And, you know, the home crowd did show up for this one, I, I guess because, you know, Virginia Tech is, is an opponent for North Carolina that they see every year, and North Carolina always gets up for the games. But, you know, that crowd there um, at North Carolina for their home games just isn't as imposing as it should for a team that's as good as they are. Um, and, and I think Virginia Tech wins this game. A lot of people have been asking this question of me today. You know, does Virginia Tech still win this game if – it's not raining if the conditions are more ideal for passing. Yeah, Virginia Tech still wins the game. I think North Carolina might score a couple more times, but I think Virginia Tech still probably clears a 10-point, at least a 10-point victory in this one, just the way their defense was playing. I don't think if the weather conditions were good that, that they were going to score a whole lot on Virginia Tech's defense yesterday. Um, that's just how good the defense is playing. And this is a statement for the Tech defense who, you know, to date they haven't played a lot of tough offensive opponents. I guess you can argue that Tennessee's been their toughest opponent offensively to date because of how well they run the football. East Carolina has a decent passing attack. Um, Philip Nelson still got his in that game, but it was it was a deal where Virginia Tech got so far ahead that you know, the two, the two deep passes East Carolina in, had in that game ended up dictating almost the entire offensive output for the Pirates. And then, you know, Boston College had nothing to show. Liberty's an FCS opponent. So this, this is a real big statement win, not only for Virginia Tech, but for Virginia Tech's defense. A lot of people have been talking up the Hokies' defense under Bud Foster. I think it's for real with this offense they face in North Carolina. I think you can chalk it up to saying Virginia Tech is definitely a top 5 to 10 defense in the country. I know they're well inside that defensively. They're a top two or three team in defensive efficiency right now. But some of that has to do with the opponents they face so far. But if they continue to do what they were doing on Saturday in ideal conditions against some better offensive teams they have moving forward on their schedule, we can definitely be all on, on Virginia Tech's a top five or ten defense if you're not sold already. I'm definitely sold as a, as a Virginia Tech fan and observer. Um, but the defense has been fantastic. I know I'm droning on and on about this. But offensively they've been great Gerard Evans has been kind of a revelation a quarterback for the Hokies and the two elements of the defense being healthy and Evans being better than expected at the quarterback position are two of the reasons why Virginia Tech's in this position now at four and one with the AP poll to come out as we record here on Sunday night to come out on Monday um, we'll, we'll find out where the Hokies stack up as far as the rest of the country is concerned the Hokies defense now number three nationally in yards per play allowed um, been very stifling that that holds up against not only just normal any football competition, but even against Power 5 opponents, they are also number three in the country. So uh, Bud Foster's defense having a little bit of a renaissance here, you know, turning back into what we've seen from them in years past. And um, this, this is a game, I think, Mike, where Virginia Tech has comfortably taken the reins and taken control of the Coastal Division. Um, with the Miami loss and beating UNC like this, uh, the, the Virginia Tech-Miami game, it's a Thursday night in Blacksburg, which sets up really nicely for the Hokies. That 
kind of figures to maybe be a de facto coastal championship game as it stands right now. So uh, this is this is a strong year one for Justin Fuente up there at, at Virginia Tech. I also want to mention, we, we talked about how Mr. Trubisky had a lot of problems in this game. Uh, obviously throwing his first two interceptions of the year, only about 60 yards. Uh, Ryan Switzer was totally MIA like the entire game. Uh, didn't have Elijah Hood to help him. You know, was injured and didn't play. What's really interesting is if you look at the six games that North Carolina's played so far, they're four and two. In the four wins, Mitch Trubisky has completed no less than 76% of his passes, has passer ratings over 190. Uh, he, he has been nothing short of excellent. In the two losses, he's, he's completing less than 60% of his passes and has not had a, a passer rating above 93 so there, there is a massive difference in quality of what you're getting from Mitch Trubisky. It's either good Trubisky or bad Trubisky right now. And clearly what we saw in, in poor conditions and against a, a good defense on Saturday, that was bad Mitch Trubisky, Mike. Yeah, and he's been so good this season that's just really, really difficult to see him struggle. I mean, we haven't seen him struggle quite like this yet. Um, and, and he's taking care of the football. And, you know, the two interceptions on Saturday against Virginia Tech's defense, you can attribute some of it to weather some of it to the pressure they was facing. Um, you know, North Carolina faced off against Florida State last Saturday. Florida State's defense had a lot of issues uh, containing North Carolina. Uh, again, the weather conditions were a little bit more ideal, but this is the first time Trubisky's faced a real tough defense, um, you know, to date. And, and this, is a, this is a situation here, you know, where he's come back to earth a little bit. But I think he's every bit as underrated even now after struggling this performance because we know – I've. I'm, I can see him bouncing back, absolutely moving forward. I, I think that's something you and I can both agree on here. And I think it's going to be some, uh, something where we're consistently going to be talking about Mitch Trubisky being one of the more underrated quarterbacks um, in the conference here this season because everybody you know, is so hung up on Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, rightfully so. Um, but I think guys like Gerard Evans, guys like Mitch Trubisky that we saw in this game on Saturday, these are two of the guys that aren't going to be talked about nearly as much as the top two quarterbacks in the conference. Um, and maybe even DeAndre Francois, who's garnered so much hype because of the Jameis Winston comparisons, Adrew. Um, but, but these two guys are every bit as good as Francois has been um, so far, and I, I think they're still going to be able to show that moving forward. Yeah, there's a lot of really good quarterback play in the ACC this year. It, it's really been a, a, an impressive thing, and it started getting a lot of notice on the, on the national stage. Let's move on here, Mike. Uh, let's, let's have our weekly sad Georgia Tech fan update. Um, so Georgia Tech loses to Pittsburgh. Uh, the, the Panthers were in control for a lot of this game. They went out to a lead early, and Georgia Tech was able to kind of claw, claw their way back into it and chip away and eventually take a lead uh, kind of mid of the middle of the fourth quarter. Pittsburgh scores a touchdown to tie it up. Uh, Georgia Tech, in about, about a minute and a half left in the game, uh, fails to convert a fourth down. Pittsburgh gets the balls in field goal range and hits a game-winning field goal for the second year in a row from a guy, of course, by the name of Blewett. Uh, <laughs> this time in bank it off the the uh, upright fashion, which is just man, the whole thing is just <laughs> it is frustrating. Um, Georgia Tech played a, a better game than a lot of people are going to want to give them credit for. Um, they ran the ball reasonably effectively. There were some issues with consistency on a play-to-play basis, um, but they hit some big plays against a, a pretty good Pittsburgh run defense. Um, Justin Thomas threw the ball very well. He did. He, he was 7 of 10, but at least at least one of those incompletions, if not two, were on drops that you know receivers should have caught. Uh, I, I continue my crusade of Justin Thomas is a better passer than you guys think he is. Um no, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and question a decision to go for it on fourth down when they did because with the way that the Pittsburgh offense was playing and the Georgia Tech's defense was struggling, I mean, if you punt the ball back to them, this, the result's going to be the same either way. So might as well, you know, and with as well as all, the offense for Georgia Tech had moved the ball as well, um, kind of work your way down the field and, and maybe flip the script a little bit. Um, Georgia Tech had its opportunities in this game. They've now lost three in a row to pretty good you know, Clemson, Miami, and Pittsburgh teams, so it can only fault them so much. But, man, it is frustrating the way that it just keeps happening is, is just missed opportunities and, and just not really getting a whole lot of, of luck in, in these timely moments, Mike. 
Yeah, I was going to agree with you there on that fourth down call. I didn't really have a problem with it. Um, and for the reasons you said, Georgia Tech was having some trouble stopping Pittsburgh. And like you said, if the result's going to be the same and Pittsburgh's just going to bleed out the clock and do, do what they needed to do. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that thinking, that line of thinking as well. Uh, Georgia Tech trying to go for it there and and keep the ball away from Pittsburgh. Um, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's, that's fine. Um, the, the result ended up being what it was. You know, in hindsight, you can question Paul Johnson all you want, but I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think he made the right decision. It just didn't end up working out. Um, Justin Thomas yesterday uh, looked pretty good throwing the ball. I was a little bit surprised that they didn't throw the ball a little bit more, honestly. Um, you know, Georgia Tech had a pretty solid game running the ball, um, you know, over 240 yards rushing. I'm, I'm with you on the play-to-play basis as far as consistency. Um, we, we saw some, some missed assignments there, I thought, in the running game a couple times um, that cost Georgia Tech in some situations. They had some issues on third down because of it at points throughout the game. Um, but I thought overall it was a pretty good performance running the ball. I was surprised that Justin Thomas only attempted 10 passes. I think that was my biggest takeaway. Um, I, I know that Georgia Tech likes to kind of set up their pass with a rushing attack. They're so run heavy, run heavy, and then lull the defense to sleep. Um, and then throw. I thought Justin Thomas was having enough success in the passing game on predictable passing downs that they should just stick with it. And some of it has to do with Georgia Tech not having consistent deep throw on the outside. Some of it has to do with, you know, the Yellow Jackets not necessarily having a consistent go-to, um, go-to receiver in the passing game. Um, I get all that, but the way Justin Thomas was throwing the ball yesterday and, and the way Pitt has struggled in their secondary in recent weeks Really, really throughout the season, honestly. Um, I, w- I was surprised that they decided not to throw it more. Um, 7 of 10 for 130 yards. I mean, wh- why not attempt a few more passes? Um, but overall, I mean, I, th- I think it's a story of, of Pittsburgh outscoring Georgia Tech, and that was really kind of what we talked about. We you know, all kind of agreed this would be a, this would be a close game and, and maybe a little bit more high scoring, and that's exactly what we got. We got a game that was high scoring back and forth, and the question was going to be, hey, can Georgia Tech outscore Pittsburgh? And they almost did. Um, and, and that's a testament to how well they played offensively yesterday. So I guess if you're going to question anything in this game, um, from my perspective, um, I, I think it's maybe you pass the ball a little bit more given Pittsburgh's struggles against the pass this year and given how well Justin Thomas was, was throwing the football yesterday. But other than that, I thought it was a hard-fought game for Georgia Tech. It's always tough to go win on the road, especially at Heinz Field. Pittsburgh has this weird aura with their – home field advantage even though they don't necessarily sell out all the time they have in this professional stadium a weird vibe where they just play so well at Heinz Field um, it, it's tough for a lot of teams to go in there and win and they had that going again yesterday um, but a hard-fought battle for Georgia Tech I thought both sides played pretty well um, if you're going to come away with a question mark from either side Pittsburgh's passing defense still suspect even in a limited sample size in this one no doubt. That was definitely something that kept coming up during the game. And something I talked about going into it is, like, how does Georgia Tech exploit, you know, Pittsburgh's weakness on defense, which has always been passing? I um, thought they did a decent job of it at times. Like you said, I mean, maybe they could have stood to do, to do it a little bit more. But this was the first game in a while, Mike, that I really felt like Georgia Tech could look at themselves and say the offense was good enough to win the game. It was the defense that kind of gave them some problems. Um Pittsburgh went for over 200 yards on the ground and three touchdowns, and it was kind of strange how it happened because James Conner led the team with only 60 yards, but Pittsburgh had seven players that had at least 19 rushing yards. Um, so it was very much this whole by-committee thing that we've seen from them in the last, you know, basically all year. Uh, it's been very effective. It's working a lot. Nate Peterman also was excellent, 14-20 to 20 for 192 yards and a touchdown. Uh, very efficient passing the ball. He... He had a lot of success. He's been very good. I think it's like one of the surprises. We talked about good quarterback play in the conference. Um, he, he's definitely played his role in that. So uh, Pittsburgh played well. Georgia Tech's defense could not really get the stops that they needed. Um, there was definitely some self-destruction that happened in the way of penalties and, again, missed opportunities. There was a, a pass late in the fourth quarter that Lance Austin uh, – jumped and it hit him in the chest and he should have probably taken it to the house our boy lance austin yeah of the uh miracle on techwood fame um yeah the the magic hadn't been here for him this year (laughs) no 
should have been a pick six, was an incompletion, and Pittsburgh later scored on that drive. So. Yeah, and he was he was part of that uh, he was part of that fumble interception mm-hmm. play too a few weeks ago against Clemson. He, so he's he was the uh, the interceptor and fumbler on that play. Yes, so rough uh, rough follow up campaign for Lance Austin might say, but um, yeah, this is this is frustrating for Georgia Tech. I mean, I think they're a better team than their record would indicate, and it is. It is shocking to think. I, I was telling people today that um, I think that you could probably change five plays over the last two games, and Georgia Tech would be about five and one, and they'd be a ranked team. Um, and so that's just really to speak more to the the margin of error is very razor thin between winning and losing at times, and that's kind of where things are at. Um, frustration is really mounting within the fan base. I'll tell you that much. Um, with, with Paul Johnson and some of the comments that he made last week about getting proper support for the program and everything. So how they respond here is going to be very, very important. They've got a couple of very winnable games coming up at home. And if you come out anything other than 2-0, and uh, a bowl game is very much in jeopardy, which would be just like total disaster. And so hopefully it doesn't come to that. But anyways... Um, Moving on, now we talk about Mike's fandom frustration. Um, last kind of big game of the weekend, we'll say, in the ACC. So, as you mentioned before, the weather for the Virginia Tech-UNC game was not great. It was about the same as it was for the North Carolina State-Notre Dame game, which made headlines this weekend for all of the wrong reasons. Um, some of the images coming out of it are just the turf being in terrible shape. Uh, it was like they were playing in a couple inches of standing water. Yep. It, it did not even really resemble football, what they were doing out there. Yeah, you had some of the fans at the NC State game wearing swim goggles. I mean, it was insane. Um, there was a waterfall on the stairs. Yeah, uh, just a lot of uh, about what you'd expect when you're playing in, in the middle of a hurricane. Um, yeah, I mean, take away from this, the field conditions were atrocious. Uh, they, they should not have been playing on that track, in my opinion. Um, and, and that's, you know, more for the safety of the players than anything else and, and for the fans as well. I mean, I thought that was pretty absurd, um, you know, to play a game in those kind of conditions with what they've going on, got going on, not only in North Carolina, but, you know, right up the eastern seaboard. I thought it was pretty crazy they played that game in those conditions. Uh, but the NCAA will continue to say that it's all about the players. Um, but really, <laughs> it's all about that TV cash. Um, yeah, so so that's that. I'll get off my soapbox there. NC State. Uh, the difference in this one was they went to Jalen McClendon at quarterback because uh, the passing game obviously wasn't going to be there. So they just decided they were going to run the ball and do a do a whole smash mouth football bit, and it was successful. Whereas Brian Kelly. Uh, look, truth be told, Notre Dame has been uh, pass the ball seventy percent of the time, run the ball thirty percent of the time team this year and they've had more success in the passing game than the running game and so because of that they decided that even in the worst possible conditions with the rain and the wind they were going to continue to pass the ball if the conditions are better do I think Notre Dame wins this game yes I do um I thought Notre Dame's defense played well yesterday some of it is attributed to weather conditions some of it is contributed to maybe or is attributed to maybe actual improvement on that side of the ball maybe some of their freshmen in the secondary playing a little bit better I'm not going to talk against the pass. I'm going to talk about the run because um, that's been a big Achilles heel for the, for um, Notre Dame this year is stopping the run. Uh, they were able to do that on Saturday for the most part. Um, NC State pounded the ball 51 times for 157 yards, uh, 3.1 yards per carry. You'll take it. Um, biggest the, the biggest difference in this game for me is Brian Kelly did not want to open up the whole Malik Zaire can of worms. Um, look, Deshaun Kaiser is a markedly better quarterback. He's a top NFL prospect heading into next next April's draft. So I don't think you're going to lose the fan base if you run Malik Zaire in the rain in NC State. You can easily justify that decision. Um, Deshaun Kaiser has shown ability to run at times this year, but if you're going to put them side by side in a foot race, you're going to take Malik Zaire. Brian Kelly didn't want to go that route. He wanted to just continue to throw the football. He wanted to get out coached by Dave Doran. And he wanted to get out coached by Dave Doran, and that's exactly what he did. Um, so, Brian Kelly, look, Notre Dame's schedule moving forward, not great 
uh, as far as looking at an outcome where they could get to a bowl game. I can't believe it's come to this, but it has. Um, they got Stanford. They got Miami. They have Virginia Tech. They have USC. Look, Southern Cal's not a great team, but they're a team that could absolutely beat Notre Dame right now at home. Are you kidding me? Um, so that's potentially four more losses, and that would put Notre Dame at 2-8. and eight. I mean, come on now. Um, and there are a couple of winnable games left on Notre Dame's schedule, but not enough to get them to six wins. So the Irish went from a surefire, maybe not surefire playoff team, obviously, but a surefire maybe New Year's six team at least in the outset, um, on paper, which is why you never play the games on paper, to now a team that's going to be battling, who's going to have to pull some upsets at home and on the road to get to bowl eligibility, which for Brian Kelly's job outlook, not great, um, because even Ty Willingham and Charlie Weiss were making bowl games for Notre Dame. So not great for Brian Kelly, not heading in a good direction, and they got to get something figured out. I've been saying it every week. The guy got something figured out here quickly, and I'm not sure that this is going to be the year that they do. Um, I'm having trouble envisioning Notre Dame making it to a bowl game, Joey. Yeah, you know, that must suck to come into the year having some playoff aspirations and people kind of hyping them up as a potential playoff, you know, New Year's Six team and then not even end up as bowl eligible. Uh, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Uh, who does that sound like, though? It sounds like Florida State a little bit, maybe, you know, to a lesser extent, obviously. But the same sort of thing they had. And they could still get into a New Year's Six Bowl, but the, as far as the playoff aspirations and the hype, obviously it hasn't matched the on-field performance so far. Well, the reference I was going for was 3-9 and nine Georgia Tech last year that was talked about as a potential playoff team. So, yep. But, yeah, I mean, in any case, though, I mean, it, that is like a, the, the biggest letdown of letdowns is to have that high of expectations and failing to meet even just a basic bar, you know, that we set for teams in this league. Uh, this game was a, a real comedy of errors, um, and, and certainly the weather did not help that at all. Um, but let me just give you an example. So uh, midway through the second quarter, Notre Dame, uh, I guess, has punted to NC State. Uh, no, 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 excuse me. Notre Dame works the ball down into like just the edge of the NC State red zone, fumbles, NC State recovers. First play, NC State fumbles, Notre Dame recovers. So now, again, they've got the ball on the edge of the NC State red zone. From there, Notre Dame goes, delay of game, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, false start. They convert a fourth down on a personal foul by NC State, and we'll get there. No gain, uh, complete for 11 yards, Kaiser to uh, Torrey Hunter Jr. False start, sack, incomplete pass, Pass intercepted. So Notre Dame went on an eight-play, three-yard drive, and they failed to score after getting the ball on the NC State 22-yard line. I mean, so, again, that is just kind of indicative of what we saw in this game. We saw a punter that took a knee while trying to field a snap, uh, and so obviously that was a big loss and gave a Notre Dame great field position. Uh, we saw NC State win the game by blocking a punt and running it back for a touchdown. Um, let me see if I can pull up how many turnovers there were. There were five turnovers in the game. So, again, a comedy of errors. This was not a, a sight for sore eyes in any way, shape, or form. But ultimately, NC State comes away the winners 10-3. to uh, A game that NC State came away with 198 yards of offense, 157 were on the ground. And, and definitely a, a, an example of where Dave Doran, without a question, outcoached Brian Kelly to win a really bizarre and unusual game. Yeah, and, you know, Dave Doran has stuck in the camp of Ryan Finley, and, and rightfully so, because he's been very good for NC State. But he was not afraid to go to Jalen McClendon um, in the second half and run the ball, and that's what they did. They pounded the rock with a quarterback, and, of course, they're, they're stable running backs, but a quarterback who is a proven runner, um, and that was kind of his calling card, maybe – not as polished as a passer, but he could run the football extremely well. Notre Dame has now seen that a couple different times this year. Have, haven't been able to stop it. Of course, I'm referring to uh, the Tyrone Swoops game with Texas. Um, they, they brought him in. He ran the ball a ton from the quarterback position. Um, that's something that Notre Dame maybe should have done a little bit more with Malik Zaire or you know, just at all with Malik Zaire, and they didn't. Um, to piggyback off your turnovers point, five turnovers in this game, but there were a total of 10 fumbles, four of them lost, and then, of course, the interception. 
um, that, that Kaiser threw that you referred to earlier. So really sloppy, a lot of penalties, snaps going awry, uh, just a ton of issues, a really sloppy game. The deciding factor was Notre Dame lining up to punt and punting it off the up back and NC State recovering it and running it in for a touchdown. That was the deciding score in this game. So uh, a sloppy, yeah. So a sloppy, a sloppy game, top to bottom, um, and a lot of it was attributed to weather conditions. May not the, maybe not the actual um, um, players on the field, but it, it all turned out to be about as comical as we expected going in with the weather conditions that ended up taking place. Wolfpack winners, ten three. Uh, that's, that's a good win for for NC State. We'll look back on it and. You'll think about the, the win more than the, the conditions under which they occurred. Let's move on, Mike. we got three more games we got to hit. Uh, kind of smaller, I guess, in terms of impact on, on what we know about the conference. Uh, so this was Friday night. Clemson goes up to Boston College and wins 56-10. to 10. Uh, they, they had a, a good performance, kind of picked up right where they left off against Louisville, where they were moving the ball very well a week ago. No rust, no letdown factor, nothing like that. So... Uh, good win for, for Clemson on the road and, and a very dominant performance here. Yeah, uh, Deshaun Watson was great. 14 of 24, 266, four touchdowns. No letdown in him. Um, running the ball, Wayne Gallman had a nice game. Nine carries for 109 yards and a touchdown, including a 59-yard run. Um, you know, Clemson spread out to a million different receivers in this one. I thought Watson did a great job in that regard. Deion Kane was the leader with three catches for 68 yards and two touchdowns. He led in all three departments there, but... Mike Williams also had a long touchdown catch, um, a spectacular diving play. Jordan Leggett, two catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. So a, a really balanced Clemson attack. They had 35 carries for 200, 229 yards between all their running backs in this one. And then, of course, Deshaun Watson with his eight carries for 28 yards. But there was no letdown here for Clemson. You know, some some were worried about that just given – they're coming off of a really emotional win at home, but they go on the road on a short week against BC, playing them on Friday night, and jump out to a 21-3 lead at the end of the first quarter, and, and that was it. Um, so it was a real easy win for Clemson, pretty low stress, and they, they did what they needed to do. They took care of business on the road, so a really good win. And when looking at BC, uh, you know, the struggles continue. Patrick Tolles, 11 of 22 for 91 yards and a touchdown. Running the ball, they had 155 yards on 48 carries. That's only 3.2 yards per rush. So not great. Um, Tommy Sweeney, leading receiver, he's, he's probably been their most consistent player in the receiving game. He had four catches for 48 yards, but this is an abysmal offense, and they showed that to be the case yet again against a Clemson team that, of course, has one of the top defenses in college football right now. So good win for Clemson. Go on the road, do what you have to do on a short week. They get a little bit longer rest period now, um, you know, he- heading into the next game. So... Good to see Clemson get that win, and you, you know, um, all all eyes point ahead now um, to their home game with NC State this Saturday. You mentioned that Clemson went for 229 yards on the ground. They join your Virginia Tech Hokies as the teams this year that have rushed for 200 yards on Boston College. Two teams to do that this year is more than the last two years combined. Uh, last year, there was not a single team that ran for 200 yards on Boston College. And in 2014, it was week two when Pittsburgh went for 303 on the ground. And other than that, it hasn't really happened since. So uh, might be some issues apparent with, uh, with this Boston College defense. They've played three ACC opponents so far, and two of them combined for nearly 1,000 yards of offense. So if Boston College doesn't have that, they don't have anything. Um, that, that offense, like you said, is not is not getting it done and, and just kind of hasn't and doesn't seem like that's going to change. So Boston College and Steve Adazio might be in a lot of trouble here, and, and I, I don't know that that really surprises a whole lot of people if you if you hear him say that. Yeah, uh, I was I was going to say my, my last point here is we've, we've been talking about this for weeks, everything you just said. If Boston College's defense doesn't perform well, this offense is not good enough to win them any games, and that's the issue they're running into now as they face some tougher competition in the ACC, is that they can't score on teams, and their defense now is looking more vulnerable than they have recently. So it's going to be tough for Boston College to grind out wins against real tough opponents here in the conference moving forward. I completely agree. Two more here, Mike. Uh, First, we'll start with Duke bouncing back from a, a rough loss to Virginia last week. They threw five interceptions. 
had a lot of problems. Uh, a lot of us, I guess all three of us on the podcast last week picked Army to win this game outright. Duke was like a five-point favorite. Uh, Duke comes away 13-6 to six winners. They get it back get it back together, back in line. Um, this is a game that it was decided by halftime, and by that I mean there was there were no points scored in the second half. Uh, again, one of these North Carolina games, there were some weather conditions involved and really kind of messed with how that went. But um, ultimately, I mean, it's good for Duke to get back in the win column. That Army team is no joke. Uh, they, they, they've done pretty well so far. That's two losses in a row now, but, I mean, not, not – bad losses by any means for, for Army. So good performance here for Duke. They got a lot of uh, a lot of help from both Daniel Jones and Parker Bame in this game. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, we're talking about teams adapting to weather conditions. You get Parker Bame in the game to run the football. David Cutcliffe, you look like a mastermind. Like, what what is this? Um, but the, the, it's just a testament to, I, I know we've talked about this, David Cutcliffe is, always has his team ready to play, even if the talent is not as great with his school there at Duke as it is with, you know, other teams he's playing against. He always has his team prepared, and he had him prepared again on Saturday. This is an Army team that was one of the be- had one of the better rushing attacks in college football, and, and, you know, some will attribute it to who they're playing, but at the same time, they got a good stable there of backs, and they use them effectively, and Duke snuffed out a lot of the running, the running uh, plays that Army had there in this game, and... Uh, Duke utilizing um, both quarterbacks, I think, was huge, and Parker Bame on the ground was was a difference because when you when you show that you have that sort of threat, especially in the weather conditions that we keep harping on here, it's really it's really important to show that and then hopefully build some sort of passing attack off of that, which of course is pretty tough given given you know the conditions there on the field, but just a really good win for Duke. Army team is no joke. I agree with you. And it's just really good that Duke was able to kind of adapt to what they were dealing with there um, in a home game that, look, I mean, you're not going to get those conditions every week. This isn't something that's going to continue moving forward. Um, if it does, we have a lot more a lot more things to worry about than just football. So um, a really good win for Duke, and hopefully they can keep the momentum going and maybe we'll get a better grasp on what kind of team they'll be here moving forward throughout the rest of the season. What's interesting here is that Army actually outgained Duke across the board. Um, Army had more rushing yards. Army had more passing yards. They had fewer plays and therefore more yards per play. Um, but at the end of the day, they only had six points, and Duke had more than that, and that's that's good enough to win. <laughs> they won. They won the. They won the stat that mattered. So uh, that's right. As long as you score more points than the other team, you'll. It's all you need. This is the analysis that people come to this podcast for. Here, That's Mike. right. It's like, yeah, you know, if you score more points than the other team, you'll be in good shape next week. So people, people getting their money's worth here. That's right. Um, so yeah, good one for Duke. Way to get back in line. Last game, Wake Forest uh, took Syracuse to the woodshed a little bit. Um, I, I think we were both surprised to see this. Thought that uh, Wake Forest was going to have a lot of problems scoring with Syracuse. Well, it's not hard to do that when Syracuse only scores one touchdown on offense and. I mean, couldn't even hit double digits in, in points. Um, Wake Forest comes away 28-9 to nine winners. The Steeman Deacons are back, Mike. They, Steam and that, Deacons. that train is back on the rails. Steeman Deacons are back. How dare I pick against them? I will never do that again. Um, Learning lessons. Yep, I will absolutely do that again, though. Uh, okay, so <laughs> five, yeah, yeah. So 5-1 and one Wake Forest. One win away from bowl eligibility. Their sights should be set on something a little bit bigger, though, because now they're going to be able with their play the rest of the season to dictate what kind of bowl they're going to. They could go to like a mid tier bowl versus like one of the bottom rung one of the bottom rung bowl games, which I think if we were doing a season outlook, we were talking about, you know, Wake Forest would get to six or seven wins and that's it. Uh, they do have a tougher schedule here heading down the stretch, but they could maybe get to seven or eight wins, which I think is more than we expected initially. We were saying, okay, maybe they eke out six and get to a bowl game. Well they're in much better shape than I thought they were now. This is a big win here against Syracuse. I think weather did play a factor in this one um, with the Orange and their struggles on offense. And Wake Forest, they've been able to run the ball extremely well. And, and Cade Carney was healthy, which, you know, always helps. He's been a big help there for the Wake Forest offense and the rushing attack when he's performing well. 29 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown. It was a, another game that, you know, in the state of North Carolina this weekend where he had to grind it out on the run, and that's exactly what Wake Forest did. Eric Dungey, 16-25, 156, and an interception. One of his worst performances of the season. Um, I, I've been really impressed with him and the Syracuse offense, and I, I think you and I were both surprised. You know, We thought that 
Syracuse, with the, with the way they've been scoring here in recent weeks, that Wake Forest would have trouble keeping up offensively. It was actually the opposite. Syracuse had trouble keeping up with Wake Forest, and the Wake Forest defense was back after the struggles they had a week ago against NC State. It was good to see them have the resiliency to bounce back at home against a Syracuse team that can score a lot of points on you if, if you slack on defense. Wake Forest defense showed up. This is a huge win for the Demon Deacons moving forward, and we'll, we'll have to see how they progress the rest of the season against a, a moderately difficult schedule here down the stretch in the second half. For a 19-point win, this game was actually a lot closer than it sounds. Um, Wake Forest scored a touchdown with about four minutes left in the game to make it 21-9, and then the, the ensuing drive from Syracuse with about a minute and a half, Wake forced a fumble and ran that back for a touchdown. So uh, it got a little bit inflated there at the very end, but for a game that was uh, – Two to nothing going into the second quarter, I believe, um, and that's a real stat. And ended up, what was it, fourteen uh, nine at halftime, and it remained that way through a lot of the game. Um, yeah, it, Wake Forest found a way to pull pull ahead. They are they're pretty good, Mike. They and I think maybe the most important thing you can say about them is they've got a very good sense of identity. You know what they're going to do. They're going to play pretty good defense. They're going to run the ball and and, and kind of try to shorten the game that way. And so. The Steeman Deacons, well on their way to a uh, an eight-win campaign. Train back on the tracks, man. We'll have to see. I mean, it is, it is a tough schedule, so we'll take that into account. But, yeah, we'll have to see moving forward here. But five and one start for Wake Forest. I'm not sure either of us saw that coming. I think you might be the uh, the conductor of the Wake Forest hype train. Mike. Absolutely. I'll ride that train till it dies, except last week when I picked against them. But, yeah, I'll ride that train till it <laughs> dies. So... You wear that badge with honor. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, man, we all make mistakes. This is one I happen to make. I won't. I won't let it happen again. All right, we got we got two things we got to do to uh, finish up re- recapping week six, and we get out of here. Uh, we're gonna do the same thing we did last week of splitting this up into a recap and then a, a preview episode. Seemed so you got seemed to work well. Yeah, I thought so. Um, it worked well for me when I was going back re-listening, obviously, but. Um, we got a couple more things we got to do here before we get out of here for week six. Um, first of all, we got to talk about the Go ACC moment of the week. And we talked about the NC State Notre Dame game being a little bit of a comedy of errors. And I pointed out a certain drive of Notre Dame's in the second quarter that was a perfect illustration of this. And there was a moment in here, Mike, that was just the, the perfect embodiment of the absurdity and, and silliness that was this game. Yeah, so uh, I'll set it up for you here. So <laughs> Notre Dame's facing a fourth down, and they decide they're going to go for it. Well, Notre Dame's left tackle, Mike McGlinchey, jumps, and it's a false start. Well, NC State got so or NC State gets so emphatic about the false start and, and, and describing it to the referee, telling him that it's a false start, that they get called for taunting. It was a personal foul penalty that ended up with a 15-yard penalty and a first down for Notre Dame. So... In what's set up to be a play where Notre Dame should not have converted fourth down, they somehow get themselves into a situation even better than they expected where they gain 15 yards on taunting over calling the penalty out. One of the most absurd things I've ever seen. It's got to be the go ACC moment of the week this week. Of course, you could pick probably three quarters of this Notre Dame-NC State game and have any one of those moments be the go, NC, uh, go ACC, go NC State, go ACC moment of the week. Um, but this is this is the one we've chosen, Joey. I'm pretty happy with it. My goodness, NC State. That is, that is really something. Uh, congratulations to your defense, allowing Notre Dame to convert a fourth down on a taunting penalty. <laughs> that is something else. By, call, by calling out a false start that the referees already saw and then not getting out of the face of the officials when they're trying to make the call on the field. It's like, yeah, they know it's a false start, man. Get out of here. And then they're like, yeah, you know, taunting, 15 yards. It's like, oh, my God. I've never seen anything like that. I see something new watching college football every week. I have never seen that before. That You couldn't describe that. I mean, having that described to me, I don't know what I would have thought of it initially. I see it live, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, how can this not be the go ACC moment of the week? And around that same time, Cam Underwood tweets at us, hey, we got an early leader in the clubhouse. So I'm glad we were all able to catch that and uh, – yeah, it's just uh, a pretty unfortunate play there for NC State, but they pulled out the W, so they'll li- they'll live and learn and move on. Nicely done, Wolfpack. Uh, all right, 
We also we got to give the uh, Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award out this week. And luckily, we don't have to go very far to do that, because that also comes from the Notre Dame-NC State comedy of errors that we saw. The Irish got um, you covered, BVG. They got you covered. <laughs> yeah, I guess this is the second of three weeks it's gone to the Irish. Last week, it was uh, another defensive coordinator that kind of earned his. Um, Mike, I'll let you describe how this happened, because this was certainly influenced by weather conditions, but in that does not diminish the... Uh, the, the strong effort and lack of results that went into this play. The Irish are driving on NC State. They line up in shotgun. Um, and it's Kaiser back there, of course, with Josh Adams flanked out to his right. And Kaiser, you know, calls the cadence and he's ready to receive the snap. That's all well and good. The issue was that the Notre Dame center couldn't get the snap off. And what I mean by that is he tried to snap it and the ball never got off the ground. So he just rolled it essentially between his legs in a play that was a play that was of course recovered by NC State in a turnover there uh, for Notre Dame, one of five fumbles in this game. Crazy moment could have easily been our Go ACC moment of the week if it weren't for the crazy taunting penalty. Obviously, um, this is attributed wholeheartedly to the weather conditions. When you see a play like that, you, you know you sit there, you crack up at it, but then you realize they're playing in a absolute monsoon. And when you think about it, it's not all that all that inconceivable that a play like that can happen um, in those conditions. So, an absolute snap fail there by the center, and uh, you know hopefully Notre Dame's playing a little bit better weather next week at home against Stanford. Man, as much as we sit here and talk about like the weather affected this game, like just I'm imagining myself. If, if you're in, like, a pool, like, throwing a football around and stuff, like, there's no point where the ball just, like, sticks to the water. I mean, it floats on top of the water. Yeah. So, like, I don't I, I don't know how this happened, but, yeah. Notre Dame center Sam Mustafer, congratulations. You tried real hard to snap that football, and it just it didn't go too well. It didn't so work out. You tried. You tried. Uh, you, you are the winner of this week's uh, Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. I was going to say, uh, we might also want to pour one out here for some fallen homies. Anybody here who, uh, who was playing the basketball conference drinking game and had, had, the, had us bring up weather conditions, we've probably done it about 100 times. So you're dead. I'm sorry. Um, call the paramedics. Get you checked out. Not a good situation there. So uh, we, can, we can close it on that. Um, weather conditions, not good. Hopefully they're better next week so we don't, you know, kick that dead horse, so to speak. If you're playing the uh, basketball conference drinking game, you might be even in worse shape than I was yesterday after I drank like a dozen beers by the middle of the 3.30 games. So Hey, man, you Facebook Live that stuff, though. Facebook Live I that did. Georgia Tech recap. Facebook live.com or Facebook.com slash from the rebel seat to see me give 25 minutes of just sad, sad takes on, on a sad loss for Georgia tech. So, um, go find that if you want to, um, and you finish another beer. So, (laughs) Hey, I finished a beer on camera. I told you I would. And, uh, that's exactly what I did. So yeah, it was that kind of day. It was, it was a weird week six, Mike, but it was a good one. A lot of cool games. Um, we, we learned probably a lot more than, you initially might think we have um, just given again, kind of the, the weirdness surrounding some of them, but uh, we're starting to get a lot of really good, clear picture of what's going on in the ACC right now. And um, I think this sets us up really nicely coming down the stretch in the, uh, the back half of October and beyond. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a pretty thin slate as far as ACC, ACC games were concerned this week, but I thought the games that we did see had some quality matchups. So, you know that'll continue here throughout the rest of the year. We'll have we'll have some quality um, quality games moving forward, and we'll have to see how they play out. No doubt. All right, let's get out of here. We, this has been enough uh, on week six. We gotta get out of here, and we'll be back later this week to preview week seven. Um, we got a good slate of games coming up, and, and we'll be back here probably either Wednesday evening or Thursday morning at some point, uh, posting our week seven preview. Uh, so check back at that point, and, uh, and we'll be talking about next week's stuff. In the meantime, you can reach out to us on social media. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC, and we are at BC Podcast ACC. You can also contact us at the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please send in your questions, send in your feedback, uh, rate us on iTunes and Google Play and all that good stuff. You can find us there um, and let us know how we're doing and and 
kind of how, how you feel about this. I actually saw a review somebody left on iTunes saying that this was like the greatest podcast experience of their life. So I, you know, <laughs> you might go find out that I was the one that wrote that, but you know, that's cool. Whatever. I, I'm just saying best podcast I've ever done. So not that there's a whole lot of competition, but you know, anyways. Um, all right, Mike, we're going to get out of here. We'll be back on, uh, on Wednesday. Yep. We're Appreciate well. you joining me. Hope you enjoyed it. So yep. Roll out. See you. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. Until then, for Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Go ACC.